In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Christ is born. Христос рождается. So today we have a double feast. We celebrate the circumcision of the Lord and also uh, St. Basil the Great, one of the great fathers and theologians of the Church and a man of action. So I asked our lector, Ivars, only to read the epistle for the uh, circumcision because I wanted that to kind of stick with you. Um, St. Paul, in the letter to the Colossians, um, warns people not to be uh, seduced by uh, all kinds of uh, streams of philosophical thinking, but to stick to the gospel message. Um, and this is, he says, in Christ dwells the whole fullness of the Godhead, of the deity, bodily. And that's why uh, our Lord undergoes this uh, bodily circumcision. First of all, it's a sign of humility uh, that he uh, accepts the authority of the law um, and therefore is circumcised like all other uh, Jews. And this goes back to... Um, uh, the patriarch Abraham. You remember, God promised to him that um, he would give him descendants like, you know, the grains of sand, like the stars in the sky. Um, and uh, he and Sarah just weren't having any children. But... Abraham believed and also uh, the Lord told Abraham to leave his home country and to go into a place where he was a stranger um, and Abraham believed and that faith is uh, the basis of salvation from that day until this, it is our faith that God is faithful. But this needs to be uh, always demonstrated through actions. Uh, and one such action was the circumcision because it was a sign that was carried on men's bodies. And in fact, during World War II, um, many people told me of how the Nazis would 
come up to people and make them drop their pants. And if they were circumcised, they knew that they were Jews. Um, and they were then arrested and probably later executed. Uh, now, uh, a after World War II, a, a great uh, movement to circumcise many uh, male infants took place. Uh, and now you couldn't do that. You couldn't differentiate. But uh, there is another group that has a sign that is put on their bodies, and that is the Coptic Christians of Egypt. They have a tattoo put on their wrist, uh, a sign of the cross, so that if they are arrested and raise their hands, it will immediately become apparent that they are Christians. And uh, uh, first of all, it's a lot less painful than circumcision, isn't it? But it is a sign in a very uh, easily uh, visible place that one is, in fact, a Christian, that one is a believer. Now, Christ is the fullness of the deity in dwelling bodily. He took upon himself this body with all of its uh, limitations and all of its needs. But it's the fullness of the Godhead. And this is very appropriate both for the Feast of the Circumcision and for the Feast of St. Basil the Great because after uh, St. Athanasius uh, the Great, St. Athanasius of Alexandria passed away and he had been the great defender of the Nicene doctrine that the Son is consubstantial with the Father. Um, the, uh, the battle wasn't over. The Arians, uh, who were against uh, considering the Son equal to the Father and who believed that the Son was a creature created by God for the specific purpose of creating the material world. Um, the Arians felt that it was unseemly that God would have direct contact with matter. Now, so what is this? This is um, extreme uh, Platonism. Plato was a bit of a dualist. For him, spirit and, and matter didn't come together that well, and um, he would have gladly um, 
left the material world. Um, well, the Aryans took a little bit too much from this non-Christian source as a basis for their thinking, and they uh, applied it to the Son of God, um, thinking that, well, if he were God, then uh, he, he just wouldn't have become incarnate. So this logos, this word, uh, this one called the Son, uh, was in fact a creature. Saint Basil the Great was one of the three great opponents of second-generation Arianism. Arius, the founder of that heresy, was a priest probably from Libya who, who uh, served in Egypt and uh, came up with this platonic uh, subversion of the Christian gospel. And uh, he spread it far and wide. He was a good marketer. Uh, he came up with a little jingle to, that people could memorize and sing, and uh, into the lyrics he put his doctrines. The Council of Nicaea thought that. Alexander of Alexandria uh, was the main opponent of Arius, and his secretary was St. Athanasius, who later became Patriarch of Alexandria after Alexander's death. And uh, they fought first-generation Arianism, but later a second-generation arose, just when you think that you have taken care of something or that something's dying away, a second strain appears. We've had that experience with uh, COVID. Uh, a mutated strain appears and uh, is more contagious than the first. So in this case, the second generation of Arianism was a little bit more sophisticated, and it used uh, logic, uh, it used uh, rhetorical approaches to argumentation, rather than just have people memorize this little song that Arius had come up with. And uh, they came up with this logical uh, syllogism. God, the, the, the very essence of God, is to be unbegotten. Right? He has no beginning. Nobody begat him. Um, and we know that the Son was begotten because we call him the only begotten Son of God. Therefore, the third uh, part of the syllogism, the Son cannot be God. 
Now, to that, the Cappadocians basically answered, and how did you come to know the essence of God? Because nobody can know the essence of God except for God. Um, and uh, they uh, destroyed the premise of that syllogism. Uh, in fact, we know how many uh, negative words are used to describe God, uncircumscribable, un, um, uh, invisible, um, and a lot of other negative terms. Why? Because positive terms often fall short of the reality of who God is. So the church, with great help from the Cappadocian fathers, Basil the Great, his best friend, Gregory of Nazianzus, Gregory the theologian, and uh, Basil's younger brother, Gregory of Nyssa, um, with, with their help, the church developed something called apophatic theology. Now, you know when someone has a stroke, we say that, um, and they can't speak, we say that they have aphasia. Uh, they're aphasic. That means that they cannot speak. Well, a means not in Greek. A or apo. Either of those means not, and then it negates what follows. So, apophasis is not speaking, just like aphasia is not speaking. It's all the same root word there. And um, you cannot speak of the essence of God. Only God can know the essence of God. And that's a very important distinction. Because you and I are going to become divinized someday. We will become, as St. Peter says in his second letter, partakers of the divine nature, of God's own way of living but not by essence, only by adoption. And so we couldn't have hope in this entry into the very life of God if we didn't understand that there's a difference between the essence, which is unattainable, to us and God's activity which is uh, attainable to us. The essence belongs only to the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The outward activities, the economy of God, the energia of God, the, the, the workings of God, that's what we can participate in. So today, um, on the uh, 
Gregorian calendar on January 1st, people are often, uh, not in our parish, but in some churches, people are often a little hungover. There's a bit of alcohol on their breath. I'm pretty sure that today uh, this is not the case. Even though I'm speaking slowly, it's not because I'm intoxicated. It's uh, because I am ill. So uh, I'm happy that through divine providence we got to celebrate this 1st of January on the Julian calendar, which comes out to be the 14th of January on the Gregorian calendar. It's actually a blessing because uh, just as for Christmas Day, there was no commercialism around it. So today, there was no parties last night. Uh, and uh, in a sense, it's, um, it's a great blessing for us to be able to do it this way, this year. We will return to the Gregorian calendar after the Theophany and the Sunday after Theophany. And then Lent will be quickly upon us. Um, we, uh, we should remember that St. Basil was not only a teacher, but a doer. He created the Basiliad, that is a community, a full-service Christian community of people who dedicated their lives to love of God and love of neighbor. They created a hospital. They created an orphanage. They created free schools, which were unheard of in uh, the fourth century. Uh, they uh, served uh, all of the dispossessed, the widows and the orphans, who were a symbol of everyone who's down and out. They took care of people. Why? Because once you get to know God as alive, once you get to know Jesus, the risen, living Christ, uh, you're not going to fall for all kinds of philosophical speculations. But one thing that you will fall for is Christian charity. To live for God and to serve other people. So the doctrine and the practice go together. And I say this precisely because we're going to have an early uh, Lent and Pascha uh, this year, and it's, it's just going to um, happen very quickly. And we need to prepare that we need to show not only in what we think, but in what we do, that we have the faith, that we are 
believers, that we have a relationship with the living God. And that is best shown by serving, loving, helping those in need. Like St. Basil, whose memory we celebrate today. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Christos Rождается. Christ is born. Amen.